Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Ariel, listen to me. The human world, it's a mess. Life under the sea is better than anything they got up there. Yeah, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. All right, everybody, uh, welcome to our Managing Madrid listeners. This is uh, the Let's Fix Football podcast. I am Gabe Lesra, joined by my co-host, Evan Matier. To everyone listening on Let's Fix Football, this is our interview segment. Um, we are joined today to talk about a bunch of interesting stuff uh, by James Rushton. James is the uh, editor-in-chief, managing editor of uh, SB Nation's AC Milan blog, uh, and SB Nation's Aston Villa blog, 7500 to Holt, uh, which is a blog that I've actually been following almost my whole time on this site. It was actually preceded Managing Madrid. Um, definitely uh, very high-quality writing, good good analysis. So, James, we're bringing you on partially to talk about a really awesome article that you wrote on uh, on the Aston Villa site uh, about sports and politics, and this is a very important day to talk about that because it's obviously October 1st, which is the referendum in Catalonia. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Before that... We wanted to talk a little bit about your other passion, which is AC Milan. So our understanding and, and the way that the, this season in Italy has played out has been quite unpleasant for you know AC Milan fans, I'd imagine, but also generally for anyone who kind of predicted Milan to be you know the kind of powerhouse in, in Italy that everyone expected after what was, to be quite frank, a quite an intense and, and, and high-spending summer. Yeah, I mean, it goes to prove that we can't really judge anything off transfers, can we? Uh, people were saying we'd finish first, second, third, fourth, and I don't see us finishing fifth at the moment. It seemed, it's really scary, to be honest, uh, with all the stuff happening you know, behind the scenes at the club, let alone the results on the pitch. I mean, we're picking up some here and there against, you know, Crotone, all those kind of clubs down the bottom, Cagliari. But when you're losing to Sampdoria, Lazio, Roma... Uh, you've got problems, right? You really do, because those are the teams that are going to finish above you. You can't finish above them if they're constantly, you know, kicking your ass. Right. It's been a turbulent couple of years for Milan, right? So, like, it, only it was almost only what a year and a half, two years ago that um, Berlusconi finally, you know, relinquished his control of the team, which I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of people were very, very. I personally was very, very excited to see because uh, it was really stifling it, and he's such a piece of shit that, like. It's great to have him not be associated with this historically fantastic club. But ever since then, the own, the process of transferring ownership to this new kind of uh, conglomeration has been kind of a clusterfuck. Yeah, that's one way to put it, man. Um, seriously. <laughs> uh, it could be illegal. Like, I, I wouldn't want to go out there and hedge all my bets on it. But this guy who owns Milan, Yong Hong Lee, you know, there were forged bank statements in the past, you know, regarding the takeover, they didn't find money on two occasions to Mm. buy the club. Only when Elliot stepped in, and you'll know Elliot from a 
bunch of news stories, I'm sure. Uh, the Vulture Fund, they stepped in and uh, they will take control of Milan if Lee can't meet his debts. And unless Milan qualify for Champions League football and rake in the sponsorship deals and the TV money, they're not going to meet that debt. Um, and then that Vulture Fund will be in charge of Milan, worrying yeah. on the pitch and off the pitch. So I just wanted to quickly mention, Elliot uh, is the vulture fund that people probably know from one of the funniest, uh, like kind of legal unfolding stories uh, in in world history, like recent uh, political history, which is so Elliot bought a bunch of bad Argentine debt in the 80s and 90s when, you know, they were getting it at this very, very you know high rate because Argentina couldn't, you know, was you know, unlikely to pay back their their bonds so that they so they had to high, you know, lend or, you know, they, they bought at these very high interest rates. And so, of course, Argentina wasn't able to pay back. And so they defaulted on this debt. Uh, a lot of the other you know, uh, uh, lenders to Argentina, a lot of the other bondholders took buyouts. Elliot refused and insisted that Argentina pay them back a 100 percent. Argentina refused. And so what Elliot did was seized. Uh, Argentina is a Argentine warship that was stationed in the port of New York and led to one of the funniest trials and, and court battles, Evan, uh, in, I think in, in the last 20 years. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's fantastic, and didn't it went all the way to the like? Didn't it go to the Supreme Court or something? I can't remember if that was the case the, that did the Second Circuit at least. Second Circuit, yeah. But anyway, like they had to decide whether or not they had a right to this warship, and ultimately <laughs> they decided that they didn't, and so they sent it home. And it was like you know, it was like the lost standards of Rome coming back to Rome. It was this huge <laughs> celebration, this victory over international finance by Argentina. Um, so yeah, it's all pretty fantastic. It's pretty funny. Except, you know, this this hedge fund or or you know private equity fund sucks. Right. And that's and that's actually the problem for Milan now is that, you know, if if, if things continue to go to hell, it's very possible that Elliot could come into a position of being the, you know, main or only owner of this club. And that would be I mean, I can't imagine a worse owner for a football team. I kind of get the image in my head now that there'll just be a bunch of suits holding Donnarumma hostage or something like that. Just take him, you know, for <laughs> to a third party. It's, it's fucking no. It's really fucking weird. Yeah, yeah like... I don't. Just, I can't get my head around it. I just don't know. Boy, this is. I don't know how uh, Vulture Fund makes money out of a football club that's failing to make money. So they, they're just going to strip it, I guess. But I hope they invest. I mean, that's a really stupid hope considering their past. Right, but um, yeah, it looks more likely. I just get everyone gone. Uh, let's sell them to the highest bidder or lowest bidder, any which bidder. Is, which is also stupid, right? Because on some level, if P, if the other, like, this is a market where like anyone will jump on a club that's doing a fire sale, but they're not going to give fire sale pr- like they're going to get fire sale prices. So like instead of like you know quietly and, and calmly building up the team, investing it with more, they, if they try to do a fire sale, like oh everyone has to go, like we're stripping this for parts, like. Donnarumma, instead of getting sold for like, you know, 150, look at the market right now, like 150 million for this, like, absolutely world class goalkeeper who you could play on your team for the next 15 years. Like, instead of selling him for what he actually would be valued at, they'd have to sell him for like 50 million because everyone knows that they're, you're trying to sell this, like, to strip this club for parts. And like, it's, it's, it could not be a worse economic situation for Milan, uh, which is really a catastrophe because, like, the Italian league, while it's a very fun league to watch, I personally really enjoy it. It's it actually kind of misses having this other kind of counterbalanced historical power to what has been a 
absolutely dominant run from Juventus. Yeah, I mean, you've got Napoli coming through and they've really impressed me both in the domestic Italian league and in European competition. Inter are kind of coming back up there as, as well now. And we've got Lazio, Roma and uh, Juventus, of course. So, but without Milan, Milan are locked out of that club at the moment. Um, right. So, yeah, Italian football still going strong. Don't get me wrong. We'll see some newcomers on the scene as well, maybe. Um, maybe Bologna, Atalanta come through into that European picture. But but uh, Milan are going to be locked out of that unless they get their, uh, their, their stalling order. Yeah, they're, they're uh, shit. It's terrible. Uh, and it's funny because yes. like, I was so optimistic about Milan coming back and being like this absolute power uh, after the after Berlusconi got out, I was like, how could you find a worse owner than the fucking like sex addict, syphilitic maniac president, right? But no, like instead they fucking like went out and found like this vulture hedge fund and this fucking like criminal, you know, south you know Southeast Asian like dude to like pretend that he has a lot of money, but in reality like forge a bunch of bank statements to end up giving the fucking club to the fucking hedge fund that defrauded the Argentine government. Like Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, like I don't think Lee's a bad guy. Don't get me wrong; I don't think he's like Berlusconi bad. He seems pretty cool, <laughs> dude. To be honest, that's but, a uh, low bar. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just a chance that it could fall to Elliot. You know, I just, I you know, it's unbelievable. Yeah, hands uh, up in the air. I don't know. <laughs> well, what's I mean, what are the chances that Elliot actually like wants to own a football club? Like, I wonder if they would just move on pretty quickly. Yeah, they yeah, I don't feel- think there's any chances there. Let's none that's a good point maybe the first thing they do is just be like hey like saudi billionaire guy like you know you want yeah. on this club like yeah like maybe they spend one window selling off some veterans and then they just they just move on from it yeah yeah it's like one of those one dollar houses when the detroit market crashed that <laughs> yeah. you could buy but if a homeless man wandered in and died in it he sued <laughs> for millions so yeah it's like that <laughs> uh so let's that, um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good analogy uh i'm gonna let's let's transition so uh obviously uh what you know kind of sparked all of this uh it, this this um decision to bring you on like chat about this stuff is that over the last couple of weeks we have seen kind of a explosion of political figures especially in the united states kind of taking shots at sports leagues and sports players um and what that has led to has been like these absolute flood of journalists and stuff talking about how like you know protest and some political issues and you know you know sports athletes talking about political issues owners talking about it too and you know these are important things to discuss this has also released an absolute flood of obnoxious douchebags telling all of these people to not talk about politics because they are only sports players so what you did, James, is you wrote a really interesting article. I'm just going to read from it. Um, and, and the basic thesis is that sports and politics are really inseparable. Uh, because really, when we talk about sports, what we're talking about is a way of viewing the world that is very much related to the way politics you know, frames and, and creates our views. And the reason we like sports on some level is the same reasons that we like politics. So let's, let's quickly read from this. Um, so in the manner that people use the sports leagues and teams of the world to reflect their views in the manner that superstars are their are their belief plat, uh, beliefs via platform air their beliefs via platforms we cannot take any kind of politics out of sport or we cannot stop any kind of politician from saying stupid things 
Because to take politics out of sports bleeds the narrative and it kills the belief we have in our heroes to be greater than human. Could we imagine Muhammad Ali with his mouth sewn shut? Or that, uh, or that all the Irish kids turn their back on James McLean because he turns his back on his community in favor of a politically neutral environment? Could we face Jesse Owens toning down his ability to, uh, to allow the Nazi athletes to win so that he may save face? Or what about the Black Panthers on the podium on that fateful summer night? Do they no longer hold their fists up in defiance of solidarity? This, I think, is absolutely crucial, right? I, I, so, um, and, and especially given what's going on today in Catalonia, where there's been a kind of history of, in Spain, uh, soccer teams being political entities. And I think that's something that our American listeners would be very interested to know about. So, why, James, why don't you chat, like, explain a little bit what your, uh, kind of what your thesis is here and, um, you know, where, where, where we, where we uh, see this going. Well, because politics and sports kind of exploded at the same time, especially in Europe. I mean, politics has been around for millennia, but we saw loads of stuff come in. You know, we saw Franco go out with Catalonia back in the day. We saw um, the working class revolts in England. We saw people take sides on either side and we saw clubs being formed in their name. You know, you've got Livorno, for example, in Italy, who were in Serie A once upon a time, but they've got a massive communist following. You know, you've got Barcelona, who have a Catalonian identity. You've got Real Madrid, who uh, unfortunately have sympathies with Franco in the past. You've got, you've got sports and cl- sports are clubs and politics are clubs. Everything is kind of bound into that. Um, we have segregation in the stands with people chanting this and that at each other. And it's based on history. Some of the chants you'll see across Europe are based on history and stuff that's happened in the past. You know, you've got the, the England squad, not the England squad, the England fans chanting about the World War One and World War Two, for example. All the events that have happened in our life have built up and led to a moment, well, moments where we we are we are what has happened. You know, we can't be anything in the future because it's yet to happen. We are all the capital that we've built up in our politics and we all take that to every Saturday, every Sunday. And we voice that in games. I mean, you can't really see that in the NFL, can you? Because the teams are more, they're more, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's not like the history is not there. It's just, it hasn't been around. Sanitized. That... Feels yes, sanitized yes. and corporatized. But that doesn't yeah. mean, well, right? And it's not its not that politics hasn't manifested itself in, in U.S. sports, right? It's just done it in different ways. So in yeah, you know, exactly. European clubs, the tribalism has been, you know, you know, so I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan, right? And they're, you know, kind of taken the nickname the Yids, but that's because they were assaulted by anti-Semites. And that was the kind of tribalism that was manifesting in North London at that time. And so that's how it manifests there. In the U.S., politics manifested in segregation of sports leagues and, and other ways that are, you know, also unfortunate also still you know affect how the sports landscape is in the u.s right and and one of the things that i i think was really interesting to talk about is also how we define like what 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 is politics right because in you know in 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 europe it seems very common for not just for you know athletes but also just for the clubs themselves i mean so in you know what i what i mean by that, like in in the united states you would never have a club take a position on uh, the like a referendum for independence, like the way that Barcelona has in Catalonia, right? They today uh, played their match against Las Palmas uh, with no fans in the stadium because they were worried uh, about incidents, but also because you know I think there's a part of you know that's certainly part of the club that is interested in having all of their fans out there to vote, 
and and participate in the election, as they've said. I mean, Gerard Piquet came on, you know. Uh, on TV and and talked about the kind of uh, abuses that the police were were going you know executing on some of the citizens who are trying to vote uh, and and really was pushing for everyone to vote. Pep Guardiola in England um, said that he'd already voted that he yeah the and the in in Spain right now the very act of voting itself is a political act because the Spanish government has said that this referendum is actually unconstitutional and that's what the police right, are and, there for. And- and the crucial point on that, right, so the club has taken an overtly political stance by saying it thinks the vote should go forward and that it thinks that even though it hasn't taken a stance of which way its fans should vote officially, it has taken the stance that the vote should happen. Well, that's a political issue because there's a political disagreement about whether this vote is legal and whether or not it should be allowed to happen. So, it, you know, it's it's the most starkly mixture of politics and sports you could possibly have, at least in, like institutionally. Which is interesting, though, right, because in the United States and James, I, I wonder whether like this is something that... That, you know, you, uh, you know, being not an American, see, but like, and you're also an NFL fan, right? So like, I know you're a Browns fan. So you, <laughs> it's like, but it's a little bit of a bummer. But my, my fiance is as well. Uh, but, you know, in all these games, like the first game, one of the first games of the season, you know, the Browns rushed out onto the field arm in arm with the police. Like, there are a lot of these kind of political statements that in the United States that the teams make that I think that part of the issue is that Americans don't really see them as political. So, for example, like the whole idea that the players would come out and stand for the anthem didn't actually wasn't actually enforced or really thought about until around 2009 when the military actually bought uh, time on the from the NFL to create a rule where they would bring out a flag and everyone would play the anthem. And so these kind of displays of patriotism themselves are political acts, right? Like this isn't an apolitical thing. Yeah, I mean, like going back to Barcelona, we have politics as the foundation of a sports club. I mean, for my Cleveland Browns, I don't think you can see politics in the foundation of it, but more in the evolution of it, yeah. as in what will it become? Um, the kneeling and the arms locked is interesting as well because we saw Kaepernick kneel for the Black Lives Matters movement, I believe. Um, yeah. Whereas now we see the protests more in defiance at Donald Trump, which is it's a completely different tangent. You see the owners joining in, which is quite weird. I mean, I like it. I like that. And anyone voicing uh, concerns <laughs> against um, an authority figure. Um, but if it's Jerry Jones, then I think twice. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the whole situation's kind of with politics and sport it's kind of weird because i mean american history is it's wide and varied but we have european history as well that goes back you know so long so many conflicts so many disputes so many arguments and american history you've kind of it's exploded in 300 years you've got almost a thousand years of history so there's there's just so much going on it's a the the word mixing pot is uh it's a kind of term that not many people kind of like but I think that's the only way you can describe it. It's so many people from so many different cultures, from so many different backgrounds, backing so many different political parties, whether it's Democrats, you know, the Libertarian Party, or even if it's the DSA, stuff like that. You've got right. people who are just attaching all flags to all different kinds of banners, and it's really exploding at the moment. Whereas in Europe, we've kind of had our flags pinned to our thing for a while. You, you know, Barcelona have said more than a club, stitched on the back of their shirts for that Catalonian identity. And, you know, Right. Sorry. It's just, it's hard to pin down what I really mean when I wrote that article because it was Aston Villa's CEO who came out and said politics shouldn't be a part of sport. 
And I mean, I get where he comes from because people sit down on the Sunday with their direct TV, their, their passes, their NFL <laughs> game passes, NBC. They've had a tough week at work. They've had shit chatted them out all week, whether it's their wife, boss, whether it's something they hate that's just thrown in on them. A sports is an escape. So whatever's been frustrating them in life, they sit down and they want to get away from it. Then they see all stuff they disagree right. with. Whether it's right or wrong, they see stuff they disagree with. And then it's just they've got no escape anymore. So, yeah, I see where people are coming from. It, I don't agree with it. I, I think politics is a part. You can't escape from it. Right. You know, it is, it's life. You know, sports is a reflection of life. Politics is a reflection of life. Can't escape from it. And yeah. to try, if you try, if, if a sports league tries to shut out politics, right, if it just tried to be neutral, like neutrality is a position. Um, not saying anything about a social issue is taking a position about how important that social issue is. And so, you know, even if, uh, you know, the, the NFL was to ban all, you know, you know, just take everything out of, at this point, take, you know, take the anthem out, ban people from, you know, don't have the teams on the field, something right ever to try to, um, anesthetize it. Yeah. It would still be taking a political statement. There would still be a stand there. Yeah. One of the things that Evan and I, you know, we we were in law school together. We learned from, you know, one of our teachers, one of his big things that he liked to say was there isn't a neutral place to, you know, retreat. That's not political. So one of the, it's when, when they say stuff like this, it, it feels to me like, you know, you can, I think what they really mean. And so is, is to, cause on some level, everything is political, right? Just like you were ma- this point that you're making, and I'm trying to, I've been trying to think hard about why people don't have, like, people have such a problem with that, especially in in America. And like, obviously, it has something to do with like turning your brain off and just watching the sports, right? But it's also it has to do probably with the fact that they know that they don't agree with everyone and each other on this stuff. So these conversations and these these things that they're thinking they know are kind of unpleasant because really what they want to do is to not fight with people uh, while they're watching their sport or at least like be on the same team. Right. But when they have their own players who they know that they don't agree with, it's hard to, it's harder to root for them. Like look at all the people that are burning the jerseys, right. Of the, uh, you know, they just go out and they, this is the stupidest shit, right. They burn their season tickets that they already paid for, which is absolutely mental. but like, I think you're right that it, it all comes from a place of anxiety. And I think that change is, you know, even more anxiety inducing than just, you know, leaving things be, though, you know, leaving things be the the ability to just leave things be is a privileged position. And, and so that's, you know, why, you know, trying to avoid the anxiety of talking about political change is itself political. But I, I agree with you that, that that's what most people are, you know, why most people don't want to hear anything about it. Right, because it's like being drafted into an army, isn't it? If you're not drafted, you know you have a p- position of privilege. Whereas if you're forced to take a side, you have to, you know, you're done. But if you're, you can stand back in that neutral territory. You've already chosen your side almost, and you have the privilege to be able to pick and choose. Right, it's like that. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, a part of it is that like the Americans, right? And I think you know, to be quite honest, I think it's more complicated in a place like Spain, but Americans especially have this belief that there are some political issues that aren't contentious. And so one of them is standing up for the the national anthem and, and, you know, respecting the flag and all that stuff. And they say that what they mean isn't like literally respecting the flag because these are the same people that are like literally wearing flag pants that they're farting into. Right. That's not what they mean. What they mean is like respecting this kind of abstract idea of, of, you know, the country that they have. And they feel like that is a, should be a non, it's a political act that is non confrontational. 
And when someone right. makes it confrontational, that's the political that is politics, but not not the non-confrontational act of standing up for the flag, putting your hand on your heart and, and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, we saw with Kaepernick as well. He originally sat during these protests. I don't know if anyone actually many people know about this, but he went to veterans and said what's they told him. You know, if you want to respect veterans or people who died fighting for the flag, kneel, show some respect, don't sit. And he started to kneel. So when people are looking at these players and saying they don't care about the troops, they don't care about wars, they don't care about veterans, they do. Because kneeling is a sign, you know, it's a sign of respect. It's bowing. Right. Whereas Kaepernick started sitting. And, you know, if he was sitting, I could get the anger. I could kind of understand the anger. But that th these people are still there for the anthem. They're still showing some kind of respect. It's just people are taking up whatever bias they've had, whether it's racial, cultural, just, uh, you know, that whole MAGA movement, exactly. make America great again. And exactly. just sticking to it and finding a point to attack. Whereas, you know, the, the really. really the realism, sorry, of the situation is that people are showing respect. They're still there. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And you're, you're spot on about this. He actually, uh, one of the reasons that he decided to start kneeling was he had a conversation with a fellow NFL player who's also a veteran. And the guy basically said, look, I'm totally down with you protesting. Sitting is more disrespectful. Uh, and I think the better way to do it is kneeling because, uh, and Evan would probably know this, but when you are, uh, delivering a you know the 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 uh, the kind of folded flag to someone's parents who someone who died in battle, uh, the players will traditionally or the the players the uh, the soldiers will traditionally give them the flag and then kneel uh, as a sign of respect for the sacrifice that the family has made right so like that and that is literally what Kepernick had spoke spoke to this guy about and he literally said this is actually a really like you know classic version of, of of giving respect and it's 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 amazing how this has been perverted into this kind of attack on the military when you know it's it's so clearly to me has almost nothing to do with the military it's it's interesting yeah people have really brought that into play i think it's just whenever the flag's in play that the military is involved obviously we've got the history of them buying into the nfl the whole you know standing up for the amp from the jets flying over but whenever the flag's involved, the military are always going to be involved. So. Well, and that's a really interesting aspect that, you know, that, you know, that's been a flashpoint. And this isn't the first time it's been a flashpoint in American sports, but it's not present, you know, to the same degree or even at all in European football. Right. The concept of, you know, nationalism and, and you know, having national symbols right. and the military present at all the matches like it's just not a thing that happens. Um, and so that's, you know, kind of unique, I think, to the American situation where in Europe, especially we're seeing Catalonia, it's, it's really this kind of even more local tribalist um, impulse that is, you know, way stronger than kind of the, the background nationalism of like American football. Totally. To the point to that point, Evan, we've seen, you know, Barcelona and, and, and people in Catalonia boo during the Spanish anthem, actually. And, you know, we've also seen. Piquet be booed in span in like stadiums all across Spain because of his outspoken feeling of being Catalan. And, you know, it's interesting because not all Catalonians like feel the way Piquet does about wanting like having very much a Catalan identity that supersedes his Spanish identity. Uh, but, you know, it's definitely. And so like we see during the Spanish national games, right? So there are two things that are really interesting about this. First of all, there are no words to the Spanish national anthem. So whenever you watch these matches, if anyone is moving their lips on the Spanish team, it's actually quite a big deal because it means that they are singing the uh, 
uh, Cantalso, the uh, the old fascist anthem, right? So like that is yikes. Uh, yikes. Whoa. Um, so they they don't sing during during the national anthem, and the the other thing maybe is, they should write some new words. Well, they did, and it's just it never really caught. So like never, basically didn't, didn't catch on. Right, and it's okay, it's new a, national time for a new anthem. Now. Well, right, and one of the things that people forget about Spain was it actually the, Spain was a fascist dictatorship until not that long ago. So like it was nineteen seventy nine or something. These are, right, these are not like these are not uh, you know old ancient wounds. Like obviously nothing in the twentieth century is really ancient. That's one of the things that I think Americans really don't understand. Like the idea that the Americans like segregation, legal segregation was legal right segregation was legal in this country within the last 50 years like that's absurd and we we you know treat it as if it was long ago just like in spain like people like to pretend that this is a some this is a nation that has been you know created and existed forever but really like this is only a few decades you know separated from an absolutely brutal dictatorship that you know my father was grew up in madrid under under franco and like this is this is like very very recent stuff. Like this is not even like my great grandfather grandfather. This is like really recent and still uh, uh, still really in living raw. it's living memory, right? I mean, it, the people in the stands who feel something about the association of Madrid or Barcelona with political points of view that go back to the Civil War, like that's because they lived it, right? They lived the the Franco regime. It's it's right. um, so it's not history at all. Actually, it's just it's recent political events exactly and it's interesting when we talk about madrid i like to make this point that one of the earliest the the earliest um, real madrid itself just madrid cf at this point but was founded by like an abs like the one of the leaders of the republican government and madrid's roots are in very much in this you know non-fascist uh, republican tradition and then franco co-opted it right but it's and and because it co-opted it, that the club has been a symbol of of this kind of fascist stuff. So it's to the point where at the beginning of the match today against Espanol, you heard people chanting like "Viva España" and all this stuff, uh, you know, in reference directly to what's going on in Catalonia, which is a little bit gross to me personally. <laughs> but like, also like this is this is an extremely you know, polit- highly politicized air uh that's going on around european soccer it's constantly politicized i mean look at and this is the last thing i want to say about this because like i know i keep ranting but if you look at serbia right you have partisan belgrade and red star belgrade that are literally the sports arms of two armies right so the red star is the is the that was the sports association that was associated with the communist government and the communist army and partisan was the uh, the 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 sports wing of the kind of right wing fascist ar- uh, uh, army like that's literally tied to armies not just tied to like political parties this is like and it, and it, again this is rather recent history the government of Tito and all these things right so like I think I think that's just fascinating too and it's something that Americans like we really really don't get in our extremely corporatized sports world yeah I mean it's like like as I go back to saying. The clubs were formed. Uh, our sports clubs were formed with identities in mind. You know, you have the army teams. You have CSK in Moscow. You know, formed from the army. They're all clubs right. based on uh, political beliefs. Whereas in America, I don't. I, you'd have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's an NFL team or an MLB team that is formed on the basis of a singular political identity or a belief. No, I don't. In think a major so. league. 
I think maybe the closest you can get is like the Green Bay Packers organization still being like very much tied to its city and like the kind of packing union that, you know, it, it was formed as a part of, but not really not though, because really these are all, I think what, what the Americans we did was all of these, these, you know, sports teams kind of leaned into the idea of themselves as a brand more than themselves as an identity. And the, the political identity is more like, you know, the teams create an identity rather than people having an identity and bringing them to the teams, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where we're going as well with European sports. I mean, you see a lot of teams, you know, buying into that whole quote-unquote brand type thing. I mean, I don't think there's anything more that Barcelona, the club, especially the financial interest of the club, would love to be more to be separated from this Catalonian yeah. identity because it is going to drag them. If this carries on, it is going to drag them into a situation of uncertainty, but it is tied to that you cannot escape that identity because that is what it is formed upon. You know, no matter who's in charge, no matter if it's a capitalist, a communist or a socialist, it's always going to be tied to where it came from right. and who built it. And it's usually the fans that built it. It's usually the fans that are buying mm-hmm. the tickets and helping them succeed. So we were talking about, you know, the Italian league in the, in the lead in here. Could you say something just about how, uh, you know, politics and football play together in, in Italy? Cause I don't know much about it. I'm, I'm curious and you might know something. <laughs> um, I don't know too much because my Italian football interests are mainly uh, circle around Milan and whatever they get up to. Yeah. Um, but there, there is of course, you know, it's Italy's the birthplace of fascism through Mussolini and the Roman Empire and all that. So our clubs you do do have supporters clubs within with ties to fascism. In right. Italy, it's not seen as that bad to be a fascist. You know, it is it isn't seen as this racist or horrible thing where we we've made it into that sort of thing because the people we know to be fascists are massive racists and they're the type of people who go out and pick a certain group of people and go we don't want them anymore um in italy there is still um quite a strong support for fascism just because of where it came from and you know it's birthplaces there there's still ties to you know, yeah what, pre- so prehistoric what, ties what, when I was in Rome, I thought it was funny, but it's also kind of scary. So whenever I was in a cab and we would drive by this like balcony where Mussolini made some famous speech because it was near my hotel, every single fucking cab driver pointed out that balcony with like a sense of pride. They're like, oh, yeah, this is the place where Mussolini gave some speech. <laughs> I'm like, that's fucking horrifying. Like, can we yeah. just tear down the balcony, please? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to be said for how they treat fascism. I mean, in its... In a, in its in politics is perfect form every single political doctrine isn't racist or it isn't you know going to kill people it's only when people take on those identities you know we see communist dictators kill people we see fascist dictators kill people we see capitalist um, presidents and politicians kill people whomever you are if you've got an evil slant you're going to use that doctrine to kill people but um with uh, fascist fascism in Italy, um, there's a strong respect for it. I don't know where that comes from, to be honest. It's quite strange, as you said, Evan. It's quite weird. Um, but you see, there's a big communist following for Livorno as well. Um, if you want to look up any pictures or videos of Livorno, <laughs> they hold up massive red star flags and stuff. Cool. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> and that's completely against the identity of being an Italian. So, oh, yeah, yeah uh, I was check actually out that. under the impression also that Roma and Lazio kind of broke down on political grounds with Lazio being kind of the, the club of uh, the kind of right wing fascists and Roma being the club of the Republicans and um, 
the uh, the more of the left wing, uh, and it's it, I don't know if that's true, but that was I was under that yes. impression. Um, but it's also like this is it's all so cool, and it's such a cool context I think for uh, Americans, and I think most of our listeners right now are Americans to hear like this stuff. Uh, you know the fact that sports were never really separate from politics at any point, and like the it's only kind of a recent thing where the the sports sports themselves have become so you know anesthetized and, and corporatized that we would pretend that they weren't very closely linked, right? And you know we've seen so many players over the history of these two you know of of, of European football and but also in in the United States right like a lot of players have have you know expressed political opinions and it wasn't until like kind of recently that players stopped and it was all like this kind of Michael Jordan you know view where his famous quote is uh, Republicans buy shoes too and like that's kind of where American sports has mutated from this kind of period uh pre-war where there was like segregated all the leagues were segregated uh, and, you know, even the, the universities were actually where a lot of the sports were happening and the universities themselves were also segregated. And it's 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 fascinating to have mutated like this into this kind of corporatized, sanitized, uh, uh, you know, place where all the like political discussion is kind of cabined into this small place, uh, small like realm of acceptable conversations about how much we all love the, you know, the military and the flag and, and the country and all other political discussion is, you know, banished to a realm that would be, quote unquote, outside of sports. Right. And I don't know. It's it's fascinating. I, I think the last thing that we should just quickly touch on is kind of where we go from here. Like, what do you think if you were you know, talking to uh, any one of the numerous, I'm sure, Twitter people who tell you to stick to sports? Like, how do you how do we respond to that? Well, I'm fine with sticking to sports, but you uh, people have got to understand that like, sports are built into politics, and politics is built into sports. I mean, when we see any presidential election, it's it's almost like Monday Night Football or something. You know, you have stats, you have everything come up. Yeah, it's it's built out like red team versus blue team. In sports, there's always going to be two teams that play each other, and it's just more about education. It's got kind of, people have just need to learn about the histories of the teams they support, especially if it's a European team, because you could be t- sticking your flag to some awful teams with awful backgrounds you know i've covered teams with nazi backgrounds i've covered teams with nationalist backgrounds especially the ones milana faced this season in albania who have some of the you know supported an almost form of genocide it's crazy um the stuff happening in sports that's been forever happening is that people will always back the team that represent them represents them the most mm-hmm. uh we see that in milan especially we have the uh, Derby della Maddonina, which is uh, Inter, of course, first Milan. Uh, the Inter were always seen as the club of the bourgeois, and uh, Milan were the working class club. So when these two went head to head, it was uh, fireworks because it was us first them. Hmm. It's always going to be us first them, no matter if you're black, white, or anything. It's always us first them. And uh, you choose your group and you stick with your group. And unfortunately, we see that take a nationalist slant. Hmm. You know, with these white supremacist groups, this white pre- supremacist president. Um, yeah, sport is always politics, and we cannot ever, for the life of us, escape that. And it's it's for a good reason. I mean, we follow sports for one reason. That's because of the drama. I mean, if we followed sports and it was you know same thing week in week out, even if we're winning every cup, you know we have drama with transfers and all sorts of things happening. We want drama in our sports, and if it wasn't the story wasn't there, we wouldn't follow it. 
So right. Well, that's why that sports around. James, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and uh, everyone should follow James on Twitter. And um, do you, if you want to plug anything that's on um, that you've done recently, uh, go ahead. I don't know if you uh, have any articles up or whatever. Yes, yeah, sure. I mean, if you want to follow uh, an English club with a really strong history, actually, and a really good name, um, you should uh, come and visit us at 7500 to Holt. I mean, Aston Villa are not a joy to follow, but it's interesting for sure, and you should definitely come along. <laughs> I really want you to come to <laughs> this Aston Villa site. Yeah, we write for fun. Um, we really do enjoy it ourselves. It is a there. fun site. I really do encourage people to check it out. It's, 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 it's a, the very least, it's fun to, to be in that community. All right, James, thank you so much for coming on. Great to have you. No, thanks for having me. Even though we know somehow we all gotta go But as long as we leave and leaving We'll be leaving with some kind of dope So into that day we expire and turn the vapors Me and my capers I'll be somewhere stacking plenty papers Keeping it real, packing, still getting high Cause life's a bitch and then you die Life's a bitch and then you die That's why we get high Cause you never know when you're gonna go Life's a bitch and then you die Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.